Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. And today's film was the 1988 John Carpenter movie, They Live. Craig, you'd seen this before, right? Yeah, when I was a kid. It's been a long time. I think I saw it just one time when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, I, I think I saw it fairly recently, like maybe three or four years ago. Yeah. I sat down. It was one of those movies I'd always kind of wanted to watch. but uh, And, of course, the cover. And I think mm. my dad really liked it, too. But, uh, you know, I didn't get to see it for quite later in life. Right. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting film, is it not? Yeah, it is interesting. You know, I... I... I remembered the basic premise, and I, I kind of remembered some things about the plot. Really, in a lot of ways, the movie hasn't aged all that well, mm. except for that I feel like the subject matter is perfectly timely. <laughs> it could have been made, yeah. Right. Like like today, just, you know, with a little more explosion, moving a little faster, and that, well, that sort of deal. and all the advancements in our technology, but I mean, a lot of it, you know, it's, it's kind of a movie about aliens, I guess, coming in and kind of controlling us subliminally through advertising and technology, and my god, the way that we're all glued to our phones right now, if if, if, if yeah. some alien race wanted to do this today, I don't think they'd have any problem. <laughs> no, it wouldn't they be. They could sneak it by us. You know, I was just thinking about that, actually, the, the movie revolves a lot around the television, and mm-hmm. how we're all glued to our TVs, and uh, we're being controlled by these uh, waves coming, because now everybody has a TV in their home, and there's a point in the movie where you hear uh, somebody talking about how even when the TV is off, there are these signals right. coming through. And I thought, well, you know, it's pretty much cell phones now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got them in our pockets. So right. And, control you know, the they, the man, can tap in and listen to you or record you whenever they want. And... Yeah, and that's really what this is all about. It's like about the man. You yeah. Know? Um, John Carpenter himself just said flat out, yeah, this is like an allegory. I mean, it's, it's, it's not much of an allegory. It's pretty bold on its face. Yeah. His response to Reaganomics mm-hmm. is uh, basically he's saying that through this film that the elite, as in the aliens, are controlling us and keeping us subservient through entertainment and sending us subliminal messages all the time that we're not awakened to. And uh, the main character in this movie gets awakened to all that and runs off uh, with a small group of people who are also awakened, enlightened, as you will, mm-hmm. and uh, tries to do something about it. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really a very simple story, and, and that's it exactly. And you could see, like I said, I feel like it's ripe for a, a remake. You know, there's so much that they could do with it now. And, you know, in the political climate that we are in here in the United States, it would not at all be a stretch to think that some of these folks are aliens, you know, out to yeah. control us and destroy us. Trump the alien. Yeah. <laughs> You wouldn't even. You don't have to wear the glasses to see it on him. You know? No. It, in a way, honestly, I, I was. I, I was almost depressing watching this movie because bit. of how much it rung true, mm-hmm. and maybe that's why I. I don't know. I, I just watched it with this melancholy air uh, of dread. In a way, you know, John Carpenter's really good at uh, at getting that out. I think I've always loved him as a director. Mm-hmm. I think if anything, John Carpenter makes fun and interesting movies. That are just so different and that, I don't know, I, I, I get this feeling that he's just a little frustrated uh, that some of these lower budget films, like this one was made for like $3 million. I think it was shot all on location in different places. It opened up number one like yeah. that weekend and then immediately just was out of the theaters like a week later. And yeah, it's crazy. But this one starts out man from nowhere type thing. Almost right, like a director. Western. And uh, even the guy's name is Nada, even though we don't hear it anymore. Yeah, I kept listening. I kept thinking, surely somebody's got to say his name, but they never do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Nada means nothing in Spanish. And um, I guess this the, the source material was a short story that was written, I think, almost 30 years or so before like they actually filmed. Somewhere in the filmed. 60s, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the the main character in the short story's name is Nada, but it's it's never mentioned. But played by uh, Roddy Piper. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah, right. And... You know, that's the thing, like, I wasn't really, you know, I would watch wrestling because my friends did and stuff. I really wasn't all that into it, but it seemed like every other boy my age was super into it. Yeah. And I remember that, you know, amongst, like, young adolescents at this time, this movie was super cool because it was, like, this action movie with all these gunfights and these big fight scenes and aliens and Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, I was into wrestling only because my friends were into uh-huh. it, so I got into it. You know, and we'd watch it, and Roddy Piper was the guy. You know, what a nice man. I mean, he just comes across as a cool dude. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he was always the, most of the time, he was the enemy 
in the wrestling world, but occasionally he'd flip over to good, you know, in this in the male soap opera that is yeah. professional wrestling. And in this movie, he just exudes a certain charisma, you know, a sort of energy that just by being there. I don't. Did you feel that yeah, way? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's he's definitely a guy's guy. Yeah. Um. And and I feel like you know John Carpenter makes those kind of movies. You know, they're they're you know stereotypically, of course, women can enjoy these movies too. But I, I feel like these are kind of guys' movies. You know, a lot of focus on the action. The storytelling is not really all that intricate. It's kind of secondary. Um. But they're fun romps. Uh, yeah. To get through. Yeah, uh, so he comes in, and uh, it's, it's again, it's just like out of a Western. It's like he wanders into town from, I think he said Denver, uh, eventually Colorado. So it's not totally the man from nowhere kind right. of thing. But uh, when is he's wandering into town, you're seeing these scenes of these big skyscrapers towering above. What, what was this, Los Angeles? Is that yeah, I think it was supposed to be? to be, yeah, Los okay. Angeles. And you get that dichotomy of the tall, towering city, and you're just a small cog in this wheel. And he, in particular, has nothing but the backpack on his back, and so when he wanders in, all he's doing is looking for work. Right. Just total blue-collar, I just need a job to get paid. Well, and, and he goes to, like, social services, like, for unemployment or to find work or whatever, and, you know, they, I feel like Carpenter really smacks you in the face with this in the first ten minutes, how there's this big divide between the wealthy elite and then the downtrodden, you know, poor working class. Yeah. Um, and so, you, you, see, you know, you see that in the busy office where they're, you know, it's, it's announced over the last loudspeaker there's a glitch and we don't have food stamps we don't even bother to apply and, um when he's uh interviewing with this uh i guess unemployment woman last place of employment denver colorado worked there for 10 years and things just seem to dry up they lost 14 banks in one week so There's nothing available for you right now. He has to go out, you know, and just kind of beat the streets to try to find work. And, and he does. Uh, not easily, but he finds some construction work. But And then, you know, you see the other construction guys, and he meets um, Frank, who's played by Keith David, who I don't know a lot about him, except that he's really familiar. He, yeah, he's, he's in The Thing, right? Yeah, he's in The Thing. He's been in a few uh, films that, you know, you are pretty recognizable trying to remember names of the well uh, just an, another big tough guy yeah and you know they kind of buddy up just a little bit and uh keith uh takes frank to like this shanty town i guess where people are kind of just building these little shacks or whatever and they, they're kind of a little local community and it looks like there's some kind of charity organization like it's right across the street from his church yeah. and like they like they offer hot meals and stuff through the church or or whatever and and that's, you know, again, a lot of the focus is just on look at these poor people. You know, they're hardworking folks, but they're downtrodden. And and then we start to get into some of the sci-fi stuff. Yeah, homeless. And, you know, what's so depressing about it is that right now L.A. is going through this very uh, thing. I mean, obviously, it's always been an issue, but it's it's even been in the news. These tent cities and shanty towns that are growing larger and larger and larger, and what do you do? You know, mm -hmm. you don't go in and bulldoze them down and destroy these people's homes, but how do you provide for this group of people? And then there's always that aspect of the rich folks, people who maybe can't put themselves in their shoes, saying, well, we just need to get rid of the riffraff. Why don't they right. just go out and get a job? Oh, well, and, oh my gosh, that's so timely right now. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of the prevailing attitude uh, in politics right now is that, you know, people who need social services or whatever are in the position that they're in because it's their fault, because they're lazy or shiftless. And, and I think that uh, Carpenter is, you know, he's res he's responding to that and saying, no, you know, these are hardworking folks. They're just down on their luck. They want to work. They want to support their families. They just don't have any options. They don't have the the opportunity and you know that couldn't be more timely today no it couldn't and it's uh, really illustrated and frank and nada have a conversation pretty early on and nada seems to be of that uh, maybe more so in the dark uh, optimistic american guy yeah. right we gave the steel companies a break when they needed it know what they gave themselves raises you know you ought to have a little more patience with life yeah well i'm all out The whole deal is like some kind of crazy game. They put you at the starting line. And the name of the game is Make It Through Life. Only everyone's out for themselves and looking to do you in at the same time. Okay, man, here we are. 
Here we are. Now, you do what you can. But remember, I'm going to do my best to blow your ass away. So how are you going to make it? I deliver a hard day's work for the money. I just want the chance. It'll come. I believe in America. I follow the rules. Everybody's got their own hard times these days. In a sense, he's saying you make your own luck. Yeah. And, uh... I just, all I know is I'm going to have to work hard and eventually I'm going to make it. Right. And Frank really shakes his head at that like uh, you're an idiot. Yeah, and Frank says, you know, it's the golden rule. Uh, He who has the gold makes the rules. And Nada says, I believe in America. You know, I believe if I go out there and do my hard work that eventually things will happen for me. Um, And it's an interesting, you know, kind of contrast. It is such the national conversation Mm -hmm. right now. It's crazy. While they're there, you know, I guess somehow there's some electricity in this shanty town. Some of these, <laughs> We've got yeah, TV. Yeah, some of these bums sit around watching a TV. And breaking into the regular programming is this kind of weird subversive message that's only kind of coming through staticky and saying how, you know, they're controlling us. Uh, I don't remember what all it said. It's this old bald guy talking. Nada had seen a, a street preacher when he had first gotten into town who was preaching the same kind of thing. You know, they're they're controlling us. We're just sheep. We're asleep. That kind of thing. And he uh, Nada sees this street preacher here again in in this little shanty place, and he sees one of the guys who seems to kind of be in charge, Gilbert. He sees him take the street preacher into this church across the street, and he kind of becomes interested in what's going on over there. And as it turns out, there is something going on over there. The church is just a front for this kind of revolutionary movement. Yeah, he walks in, and all the singing and choir sounds that are coming from the church are really just coming from speakers. Yeah. Reel-to-reel tape. That's where yeah. part of this movie is so charming. All the technology in it. It's got a mix of this sort of future technology and this clearly 80s technology. Oh, yeah. It's so 80s. He goes in and he stumbles into back into a wall and opens up a secret panel. Yeah, which they... is totally not secret at all. No. I, I thought that was kind of funny. Like, he sees this, like, lab. Like, it just looks like your generic chem lab, almost like a, a meth lab or something. And uh, then, yeah, he trips, which he does several times throughout the movie. I thought that was kind of funny. He's kind of, like, clumsy, always tumbling over things. But, yeah, there's this door that's kind of hidden, I guess. And uh, I didn't even really get the significance of it because there were all these boxes all along the outside too yeah um, and then like they just had some of them hidden away well and all you've got to do is walk in the side door of this church and you stumble into the whole operation yeah, right, I mean, right. there's no guard he just wandered in yeah you know it, it was it's a little silly uh, the way that that's set up well the boxes are full of sunglasses um, and he doesn't have any idea what that means obviously um, but uh, I, I think it's pretty much right away you know right after he kind of stumbles upon that and he's then he's kind of watching them from a distance, right away the place gets raided. You know, yeah. all these cops come in, helicopters come in, everybody, you know, who is in there runs out and runs away. The cops are chasing them and beating them up. Like, this old preacher guy is, is old and blind. and They're um, kicking the crap out oh of Oh, my guy. gosh. Yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of presume they killed him. Yeah. Uh, is what I'm thinking. But, you know, Nada gets away. And then he he comes back later after everything's kind of died down, right? Yeah, he does to investigate. And of course, the church has been burned up. The police have actually come in and completely cleared out the shanty town with their bulldozers yeah. and stuff. You know, I was reading about this, and apparently Roddy Piper came from a not too dissimilar uh, background. Of had some home some times when he was homeless, and he said that actually shooting those scenes was very difficult for him huh. uh, to kind of see. So some of that reaction on his face. You would think is is genuine, I guess. Except the reaction on his face a lot of times is this slightly disinterested, dispassionate smirk. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's not honestly I love watching him, but he's not really the best actor. No, no. I mean he, he's not terrible. I mean, no. you know, I feel like we still see, you know, kind of stunt casting today where they'll, you know, cast a big name singer or or athlete or something. And it's just for the name. And, and a lot of the times their performances are shoddy. But, you know, he held his own. It wasn't awful. His no. acting wasn't so bad. It's kind of Schwarzenegger-esque, right? Yeah. Arnold yeah. back in the day. Right. Uh, he becomes more of a Rambo at some point in the later on in the film. And it's it's pretty one note. But, yeah. you know, it, it's not terrible. It's not like you're laughing at how terrible the That's acting true. is. It's just, it's just a little flat. That's true. Well, he goes back in, and uh, the church has been cleared out. And a big message that had been written on the wall that said, They live, we sleep, mm-hmm. has been painted over. 
And of course, because he knows about this, not this pretty obvious. Uh, boy, those police really were not doing right. Their job. Not very <laughs> and it, you know, it, it becomes an alien movie, and we find out that most of the police are aliens, and it's so funny because they're totally inept. Like we get later on, late in the movie, there are these big gunfights, and there will be like dozens of these cops like shooting machine guns at these two guys. Never hit them. <laughs> Meanwhile, the two guys, you know, just Don't have these aim. old pistols. Yeah, and they're just taking them out left and right. They're just spraying. And left and right and whatever. Yeah, so so the aliens are good with their technology, not so good at the uh, police work, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of silly. He opens up the secret pa- secret panel and pulls out a box of sunglasses. Well, he pulls out the box, runs out to an alley to see what's actually inside, and he looks into it. Oh, it's more sunglasses. And yeah, he kind of like rifles through, thinking like, there's surely there's more. Yeah. <laughs> right. And he ends up putting the sunglasses on as he's walking down the street, and instantly he sees one of the large billboards across the street. Now the world's in black and white right. through right. the sunglasses, yeah. mm-hmm. and it says "Obey." Right. It's a big ad for just a computer, but uh, the subliminal subtext of the ad is "Obey." And he looks across at another ad of a chick in a bikini who's lounging, and it's telling you to to you know go to some faraway place, Hawaii. And he looks at it through the sunglasses, and it says "Marry and Reproduce." <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. And so he's looking all around, and you know, I, this is what I remember. I I remember thinking this was so cool when I was a kid. You know, these sunglasses that allowed him to see what was really there, even though it was in black and white. And the you know, I don't know what kind of transfer we watched. It, it looked really great for a movie from the late '80s, uh, and the black and white stuff was really clean. It looked really good. Um, but yeah, he I mean, he just looks all around and everywhere, every. Everywhere where there's an advertisement, everywhere where there's anything in print or photo, it's these different subliminal messages. And, you know, they're just in these big black uh, block letters on white um, backgrounds. And it's stuff like non-independent thought, consume, watch TV, buy, stay asleep, submit, do not question authority. And it's just everywhere. And and it's kind of cool because it makes you realize how much you don't realize how much you're inundated with really subliminal stuff all these, the time. These very same messages. Yeah. yeah. You you cut it to its core. This is the truth behind what it is. And, right. And the truth is black and white, right? Right. So he sees it in black and white. It's it's clever. I mean, I liked it. I, I thought that that, uh, that worked for me. Oh, yeah. I liked it, too. I think that's one of the most fun and, and uh, creative elements of the movie. I like it a lot. Yeah. And, and even when he looks down at some money, uh, at one point in one guy's hand, the money printed on it says, this is your God. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, also people. So, uh-huh. you know, at first the people he sees just look like normal people through the glasses, but every now and then somebody in a suit or somebody who's obviously a little more upper class mm-hmm. comes into picture and they are freaky looking alien people. Right. I remember, again, I only saw it when I was a kid. I remember those aliens looking so cool and scary. Today, as we're watching, you know, it's it's almost like they've just got, like, it's like a rubber mask. Yeah. (laughs) It's so low budget. Yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's an interesting look. It's not, you know, it's not copying anything else. I mean, these are unique looking. They've got these kind of big sparkly eyes, and it almost looks like, they're kind of human-esque, except it almost looks like they're flayed or something, like they're missing yeah. skin. Like, you're just kind of seeing muscular bone tissue and, muscu- and bone yeah. and stuff. Which is smart for the message. I mean, uh, if you're trying to make parallels to real life, you'd want to make the aliens more humanoid. Right. Because, in essence, he's basically saying the message is that there are humans who are doing this. Right, you know? right, exactly. Um, and that, you know... <laughs> some people are monsters. Yeah. Uh, basically, is, is what he's getting down to. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, it's a, a very clear attack at a certain class of people, which, yeah. you know, is is interesting coming from a successful uh, film director. That's but, a good point, right? But um, So as he's going around, he's, he's really saying out loud what he thinks. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the goofy things about this movie, really, is that... And it's sadly Carpenter couldn't come up with a better way for us to get into his mind. And honestly, he really didn't need more than him wandering around and reacting to things. But he says to people, "You know, you look like your head fell on the cheese dip back in 1957." You, you're okay. This one, real ugly. You see, I take these glasses off. She looks like a regular person, doesn't she, huh? Put them back on, 
formaldehyde face. That's what That's we got. That's enough out of you. You get out or I call the cops. Call the cops? You know what you need? You need a Brazilian plastic surgeon. You look ugly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And he just completely reveals to everybody that he knows their secret. Right. Which causes people to start talking into their wristwatches. Right, the alien people. Yeah. Right, like saying stuff like, I've got one who can see. And, you know, then you see that they're all communicating in these watches and they're, you know, all starting to kind of, uh, I don't know, converge come in. Yeah, him, converge yeah. on him. Exactly. Yeah. And so he takes off running and he ends up kind of getting cornered in this alleyway where two cops who are also aliens stop him. And they say something like, I don't know, like, uh, you know, we can do this the easy way or the hard way or whatever, but he ends up just kind of kicking their asses. And then <laughs> yeah, and he kills them. Yeah. Like, he just shoots shoots them both. And, and that was an interesting choice, too. I mean, I see at some point later on, you know, eventually he gets away and he, he teams back up with... Uh, Frank and, and Frank says, "How many people did you kill?" And he said, "None. I didn't kill any people. Yeah. You know, they 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 weren't people. But it's it's kind of <laughs> he didn't really have any moral struggle. Yeah, it, it is an interesting morality to this film. Yeah, uh, total black and white, bad good guy, bad guy. The aliens are the bad guy, and we're just going to kill them when we see them, and we're not supposed to feel you know anything for them. Right. And, and to be fair, I think that's." I mean that's kind of how the movie plays out uh, all all the way through the aliens there's nothing there's nothing redeeming about them they are here to control us to consume us uh, to basically use our planet's resources and move on to the next one. Right, yeah, and their their motives are a little bit vague. I never really could understand if they were there because they wanted to inhabit the planet or if they were just gathering some kind of resources or you know at some point one of somebody says methane uh, gas has gone up and all these different, you know, chlorofluorocarbons have gone up and they're turning their atmosphere into our atmosphere. Or our atmosphere into their atmosphere. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Which was an interesting way of weaving the environmental right. thing into it, right? <laughs> so now it's like Exxon is evil because they're knowingly yeah. dumping stuff into the air just because they're trying to transform the planet. But but then at the same level, like you said, you know, they, they say that, but then they're just going to move on. Yeah, right. You know? so. Well, and we find out later that they can still go back and forth between our world and, and their world I, again, it's a bit of a hole yeah the, the motives are a little unclear I, I don't know that it necessarily matters you yeah. know it's it's because we're stuck in this bad spot right and that's all that matters to us right uh, is that now we feel bad because we've been submitting to this the whole time and we've been coaxed in by this message that they are continually giving us that you too can be like us you too can be rich and successful which again is what Nada originally feels at the beginning and then it's only when he puts on the glasses and realizes there is in fact a large conspiracy that the deck is stacked against us from the beginning and all of that goes out the window like the American dream essentially goes out the window right because the deck's stacked yeah right exactly and that kind of comes to be the message, you know, because the deck is stacked, do you stand up and fight or do you submit to the inevitable? Um, right. And, you know, if you can have personal gain, why not? You know, what is your other alternative? You know, they're here, they're in charge. If they are offering you, you know, some sort of personal gain for just going along and helping out, why not? But of course... The true American, <laughs> Nada, knows that no, you know, we have to fight for our freedom and our individuality and all that stuff. Well, it does, you know, it raises an interesting point, and that is, okay, if these aliens have the power to come in and give you the wealth and whatever, if you go along with them, why are there poor people? Why are there people who are, who are in the dark about, why are they keeping so many people in the dark? You know, we've seen science fiction films where the aliens come in and just promise the world to the Earth, but there's always a, like a sinister catch mm -hmm, behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, um, I think the fact that the aliens are coming in uh, to consume and really don't care about humanity, that's why they've got to keep this dichotomy. They've got to keep the poor and the rich. They've got to keep and maintain a certain class struggle to give you something to aspire to, to grease the wheels well, for their invasion. Well, you know? and, and it's also, you know, kind of a, a control thing. Somebody says it, I don't even remember who says at one point, he says, they must love watching us rip each other apart. Mm. They must love watching us kill one another. So by raising some people in status and keeping other people down, they're maintaining that conflict. And, and allowing and, us to do a lot of their dirty work. Right, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. Which and again, God, isn't that I know. scary? <laughs> it's so scary because uh, it just sort of feels like we're living through it right I know. now. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy it's, pitting pitting people against one another, and you know, for for political purposes, and yeah, it's 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 you know, you put it in the context of a sci-fi movie, it's scary. You put it in the context of reality, it's even scarier. Yeah. I don't know, man. It is. This scary is like time. The scariest movie we've seen, like, way more than, <laughs> right. than right. Saw or anything else. Well, well uh, he, he gets away from those cops and he runs off and... Um, oh, well, I want to point one thing out, okay. though, which is really cool, um, and I thought this was a fine choice by the director, writer, same guy, was that he does encounter a cop that's not an alien. Right. Right? He's also saying, you know, not all these people, and of course we get introduced to that later, but not everybody in authority is a bad guy. And not some even of all of them know. Mm-hmm. A lot of them might, but some of them don't. And so he doesn't kill the people. And, the, you know, that kind of goes throughout the rest of the movie. You know, they're, they're running around with machine guns and whatnot, and they kill indiscriminately the aliens, but they'll just let the humans just kind of skirt by. Skirt on by, mm-hmm. yeah. Even if they might be in cahoots. The right. idea is that they don't know they're in cahoots, right? Right, right. So you're right. So as they go along, he escapes, and he runs across uh, a woman. In a well, party. we can't skip this part. Oh, no, no. You're right, you're right. He ends up, you know, just he, he's trying to hide. He ends up backing into a bank. And, and at this point, he's taken all the weapons from the cops. So he's armed. He's got, like, a, a shotgun and, you know, pistols and everything. And so, of course, when he turns around in the bank, you know, people start to freak out. And then I think, you know, the classic line from this movie. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a silly line. It is. And so funny. It's iconic. It you is know? iconic. And we've seen, I mean, we, we repeat that line, people talk, or, or make modifications on right. it, you know? And apparently he came up with that on his own. It was part of what, you know... It was part of his... Like, he had, like, a a list, I guess, that, you know, stuff that he had planned on using in the ring or or in, you know, in the interviews interviews and wrestling, yeah. And so he just uh, ad-libbed it and they kept it. And and I want... You know, he's got silly zingers throughout. You know, I wonder how much of that was scripted and how much, you know, it, it... when he's in the bank and he's been shooting all the aliens, um, he sees one of them talking into his wristwatch, and he says, Mama doesn't like tattletales. <laughs> you know, he's just got all these goofy little quips. And it, but it works, you it know? Does. I think it's, you know, a product of the time. I don't think that you could get away with that kind of cheesiness today and still no. be taken seriously. But for the time period, it works, and it's funny. Arnie did that all the time. And yeah, so oh, yeah. St- Stallone. Yeah, yeah sure. it, was, it was all part and parcel of that. And that guy that he says that to uh, twists his watch or something and immediately vanishes. And right. that's an interesting reveal at that point, mm-hmm. that these guys can actually disappear. And, and that comes into play later as well. Right. So then after that encounter in the bank, he lives out. Oh, there's also like a little flying saucer thing mm-hmm. that comes in. And it's like a 1950s looking flying mm-hmm. saucer. It's just like a little orb with like a little arm that's like a camera, I guess, that comes out. Yeah. Yeah, like two big metal plates kind of stuck together, and you know, front to front. Like an Ed Wood thing. Yeah, yeah. That was an interesting choice. It looked really good in the black and white. Yeah. You know, it looked like it fit completely. Right, right. But, but again, that was something that I didn't really understand. Like, are those things invisible? Yeah. <laughs> uh, to everybody else, same I don't here. Know. That I, who cares? That didn't make any sense to me. No, but yeah. who cares? You know, it, yeah. gave, it's showing. Well, I guess it's establishing. You know, they've got this advanced technology that we don't know about, and they're using it. Well, and also he shoots it, and it bursts into a bunch of metal pieces, and then it cuts back to him, and like one little metal thing falls to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> like the budget of this movie really kind of shows funny. at times. So he runs along and uh, ends up in a, a parking garage, yeah. and uh, there's a woman who's trying to get into her car, and he can see that she's not an alien, so he essentially kidnaps her, tries to use her as a means of escape. and so Right. And this, this woman is Meg Foster, who I don't know from a lot of things, but she has such a unique look. Oh my gosh. Um, and I know that she did a lot of TV work uh, in the 80s, maybe in the 90s, too. I, kn- I haven't seen it, but I know that she was in uh, Rob Zombie's Lords of Salem. Hmm. Um, but if you know who she is, you'll picture her face immediately because she's got these piercing blue eyes, almost like scary, unnaturally blue. Yeah. Uh, and and these, you know, this is her natural eye color. I would almost wonder if she has vision problems. I mean, it's just such a, you know, they're so light. Um, it seems like she wouldn't be able to be out in the sun for very long. But she's very striking yes. um, and, and very memorable. <laughs> 
And so he takes her and, and basically, you know, he just needs to get out of there. The cops are around. And so he just says, drive. And eventually, you know, he says, take me back to your place. She doesn't want to, but what choice does she have? And so they go back to uh, her place. And he tries to explain to her what's going on. But, of course, she doesn't believe him. I always thought this was funny, though, you know, because he's got those glasses, and he says, here, put them on. And she says, well, even if I don't see what you see, I'm going to see it. In other words... I'm going to lie. Right. You're in charge. I'm going to go along with whatever you go along with. In my mind, I'm thinking, all right, just put them on anyway. Yeah, right? <laughs> He'll see that she sees. He knows that she's not lying. Right. Because, yeah, it's the silliest... That That is another weak point in this movie. Uh, some of the plotting is a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. So she doesn't put him on. He doesn't give him to her. He says, fine, and he just gives right. up. And it's like he's nodding off, and she starts to walk away, and he's like, don't you mess with me. And she says, oh, I want to get a drink. And then he starts to have conversation with her and asks her what she, who, what her name is, and her name is Holly, and what does she do? Oh, she works for Cable Channel 54. Is the Which program. we know is the is the studio that the aliens broadcast out of. Yeah. So right away I'm like, ah, oh, come on. This lady's got to know just... more than, than she's letting on. And also, you know, it's another one of those movie things where, oh, he happened to stumble upon the one right. woman, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> So he gets excited, he runs toward the television, and there's a fantastic shot. Mm-hmm. It's very Hitchcockian in a way. Yeah. Uh, of It's a completely overhead. As he reaches for the TV, she swings around and knocks him over the head with a bottle or something. Yeah, like a liquor bottle. And pushes him out the window, all in just one smooth moment. Mm-hmm. Boy, is that shocking. Yeah, and, oh, it was. I had forgotten about that, and it's really fast, and it's this big plate glass window, and you know he, he flies out of it and then rolls down the hill. It's a, it's a cool action sequence. Uh, it's brilliant um, from a filmmaking standpoint. And John Carpenter's always been pretty good at staging action. No, he's without his glasses mm-hmm. now. And uh, you can see he's constantly under threat from the cops. He's always looking overhead. There's always a police helicopter they've around. Got his, they've got sirens. a picture of him on you know every TV screen. Yeah, a, an inexplicable picture. Like, where did they get this picture right. from? Because it's not like it came off a security camera or anything. No, and it's clearly an old picture because he has much shorter hair. <laughs> It's funny. <laughs> it's goofy, but he is more or less able to wander around the streets when he needs to without yeah. anybody recognizing him or anybody bothering him. So in that sense, the tension in the movie dissipates a little bit when you realize that when it's convenient for the film, he can just wander around. Whereas when it's not convenient or we need to introduce a chase scene or something, suddenly the cops are everywhere right. or everybody knows who he is and besets upon him. You yeah, know? and that would be a criticism that I have of the movie. You know, it really takes a while to get rolling. And then even when it gets rolling, when the aliens are revealed, it's not real fast-paced. I mean, some, some no. fun action stuff will happen, but then you'll have... A good stretch where it's just walking around and looking around and whatnot. First, he goes back to the construction site and he's trying to, I think, hook back up with Frank. But Frank's like, I don't want anything to do with you. You know, you're a wanted man or whatever. Yeah. Get get out of here. And so he leaves and he goes back to where he left the um, the sun, the box of sunglasses. He had left it in the bottom of this trash can and he goes. Which was the dumbest idea? Oh, in the I know. World. <laughs> well, but at that point, he didn't know what they were. But I, and and who knows? I mean, it's it's not within the realm of reality. But I'm thinking if if I realized what those sunglasses did, one of my first thoughts would be, I'm gonna go back and get the other ones. Yeah, right. <laughs> like immediately. Right. <laughs> but I guess it doesn't cross his mind. So he goes back, and and the garbage has just been picked up, and the truck is still there. So he kind of sneakily opens the back of of the truck and rifles through and finds the box, and it, it looks like there's still a couple of pairs in there. Yeah. You know, this is almost an unnecessary scene, it is. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the outcome is the same, right. and he's never in any peril. It's not like the guys uh, running the truck find him doing whatever he's doing. He just goes in, oh, okay, there are the glasses after all, and it gets dumped out on it, the yeah, street. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I feel like they were going for a comic moment with him getting dumped out of the dump truck onto the street, but it really wasn't that funny. No. I mean, it just didn't seem well, necessary at all. And it's the, like I said to Craig as we were watching this, this is the cleanest garbage oh, yeah. I've ever seen in my life. It's just all <laughs> cardboard boxes, boxes and papers, yeah. you know? <laughs> Nothing dirty about it. 
but anyway, he gets the glasses back, and then from behind him, Frank appears and says, all right, look, here's a week's pay, you know, take it and get out of here. And he says, look, you got you to gotta put on these glasses. And, and he's, you know, he is kind of talking like a crazy person. They're all around. They're controlling us. We're asleep. You know, somebody was shouting that at me in an alleyway. <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't be real quick to want to buddy up with them either. But... Hey, you've probably had that shout out at you and alleyway oh, sh- at yeah. some point or I not. mean, every once in a while. <laughs> But uh, but Frank doesn't want to put the glasses on. And then so, <laughs> really the biggest, one of the biggest action pieces of the movie is our two protagonists beating the crap out of each other. <laughs> Not a once Frank to put on the glasses, he won't. And he says something like, well, you've got two choices. You can put on the glasses or you can start eating that trash can. Um, and Frank's like, yeah, I don't think so. And so then they just start beating the crap out of each other. And it's this huge fight scene. And I read that um, initially this fight was supposed to last 20 seconds. But Roddy Piper and Keith David got together on their own and choreographed this huge fight. And they, they really, except for the face shots and the groin shots, they weren't even pulling any punches. No. You know, they were really going at it. Um, and it's it's a good fight. It's a tough fight. I mean, these are two big guys. Strong construction Oh, my workers. gosh. And, yeah. you know, when it first starts... Frank is like punching uh, Nada in the chest. It's, it, it just looks like he's punching a brick wall. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, he does, like he doesn't yield at all. And of course, it goes on for over five minutes. And by the end, they are in bad shape. I mean, they're they're half dead. It seems like you know. And a lot of this movie is comedy. You know, it's a tongue in cheek kind of thing, as a, as a satire would sort of go. And this does get to comical proportions, intentionally comical proportions. What I really like about this fight scene, though is that you're not seeing fancy martial arts. No, no. You know? Just street fighting. And you're not seeing them uh, take a really, really bad hit and then get up right away right. to return the favor. This is what it seems like it would be like if these two guys were actually fighting. Yeah, well, there I mean... moments of, of, re- of rest yeah. where they're both kind of on the ground and then one kind of gets up and it paces out at a realistic... Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a couple of wrestling moves thrown in, like some body slams. Oh, it's not all realistic, right? Totally, right. No. But but it's 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 a it's a, it's a, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, they'll take a big hit and then they'll just you know almost go unconscious uh, for a minute, and it takes them a while to recuperate. But then they just get back up and get right back into it. I'm like, dang! I know you guys are in for punishment, I guess. And what's so fun about it too is Frank's absolute refusal to put those glasses on because now it's gotten like personal right now that you're beating me up over it there's absolutely no way i'm going to put these glasses on so he throws them away and he puts them on anyway the way it ends up is that uh uh, nada ends up getting the better of frank uh frank's on the ground and he just shoves the glasses on his face lifts him up and points him toward the street where there happen to be now two people walking by uh, where I guess there weren't before <laughs> during the preceding five minutes who happened to be aliens and they look at their watches and talk and suddenly Frank's a believer. Yeah, and another one of those orbs shows up and That's he sees right. that. And so, yeah, so now they're friends again. And that was something else that I liked about that fight. It was it was almost like they weren't apologetic in how rough they were being on one another, but they, it was almost like chivalrous like like they would help one another up like they would apologize oh sorry <laughs> like, they, like we're not enemies just do what i want you to do yeah um, yeah we don't hate each other's guts right right <laughs> we're just trying to um win win That's yeah it. win the argument with force so then they go off together and they get a hotel room and it's it's a funny shot of them walking in and they're both just i mean <laughs> the the makeup is, is pretty good they are both just busted up roddy piper's face is all swollen they've got cuts everywhere I like that they walk up to the counter of this hotel, which is not in the best part of town, oh, no. clearly. And they look like hell, and they, they're they standing in front of this guy. And you expect this comical other shot of the hotelier just, like, staring at them, right. like, what, who are you? But it's not that. He just hands them the pen, like, yeah. <laughs> like, like he sees this okay. every day, all day long. This is nothing unusual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I don't know if we were supposed to know that time passed. It seemed like it seemed like the next day then they were just fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, they're limping and stuff. They're all beat up that night. And then the next day is like all their wounds are healed. They're, yeah. they're very fast healers. You know, not to mention that uh, Nada had, you know, been thrown out of a building and rolled down this huge <laughs> hill. But he, he's, he's, he's a quick healer, apparently. Well, this, I know for me at least, this is where the movie was starting to kind of slow down again. Is when they're in the hotel room and they're chatting with each other. Uh, they introduce an, uh, an element to this where... The longer they wear these glasses, the more painful it is. It's mm. like it gives them headaches. I guess mm. it's it's one of those the truth hurts, you know. Yeah. I think back to um I think back to Nathaniel Hawthorne and Young Goodman Brown where the truth cuts, you know, like mm-hmm. blades of grass through their feet and this is the sense that I think John Carpenter's trying to introduce in here. So it seems like maybe they are in there for a little while doing some recovery maybe. time because it's required not just from their injuries but, you know, to absorb what is happening and what they can, you know, what they what they can do about it. Yeah, well, and and there's, you know, I, I don't know if they were padding for time or if they were trying to build character or what, but you know, Roddy Piper uh, goes off on this story that about his dad and how his dad had been abusive and. It doesn't really seem to have any true relevance. I, you know, I don't know if maybe there was more of that that ended up getting cut. I don't think so, because I think that uh, uh, John Carpenter had final cut. Yeah. Um, but it just kind of comes out of left field. And and it doesn't go anywhere. No. I, th- that's another thing that I, I just rolled my eyes at. I thought, man, he was. it seemed like he was going for that man from nowhere trope. Mm-hmm. Yet... He lets you know he tells enough of his backstory throughout the movie, but not enough of it that it's interesting or compelling mm-hmm. or, yeah. or really sheds any more light onto him. I thought it was a weakness, uh, maybe padding for time. Yeah, I don't know, uh, but yeah, uh, or or for him to give another one liner. Yeah, right, because he says something like. What does he say? He talks about... The, the story's bizarre. It's about his dad, when he was 13, kind of holding a, a razor blade up against him and, 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 I guess, slashing his throat or cutting him with it or something? It was weird. It was ambiguous. It's like he said that he put the razor blade up to his neck and and, and uh, Nada begged him not to, but then it said it, he sawed back and, back forth, and forth like he was sawing down a tree. I don't know if it was just threatening or if he was really cutting. I don't know. It was unclear. Um, but it culminates in... Gonna be hell to pay. Because I ain't daddy's little boy no more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a silly line, but and it's kind of funny, but it almost seemed like he had that line first and he had to figure out a way maybe. to work it in. Yeah, you know? maybe. What I really liked was the line that came shortly before that when they were done with their fight and uh, Frank sees for the first time. And uh, Nada. Nada turns to him and says, life's a bitch. And she's back in heat. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. I liked that one. That one made me laugh. Oh, gosh. That's one that should have lasted through the ages, and I don't really hear anybody no. saying that. Um, <laughs> well, they, they don't really have a plan, but they decide they need to hook back up with these rebels. You know, they say, that we're, you know, whoever made these glasses, we've got to find them. And, you know, if there are any left, you know, they don't even know because the place got raided or whatever. And then, very conveniently, um, the, the guy... Re- the rebels find them. Right. Gil- <laughs> Gilbert, the, the leader of the rebels, just happens to stumble upon them them and and brings them uh in and says we're having this meeting tonight and he gives them the address and whatnot too so, much convenience la yeah. is a very large very popular right. city this right it's all um i don't know i mean you just, yeah it is but you just roll you gotta it, go whatever well, you have to. You, you, you gotta keep the plot moving somehow you know no. <laughs> it get awfully boring if they had to spend the next 20 minutes looking for these people so we, uh, they hook them back up and they go to this meeting it's at night and it's like a back alley and there's all these people, you know, that we recognize from the shanty town, and they are gathering weapons, and they've also got now contact lenses so that uh, you don't have to wear the sunglasses anymore. And uh, apparently, the contact lenses don't cause that same kind of pain. You know, they've tweaked them or something so that um, it's they can wear them all the time. Yeah, and you know, I, I, not a lot goes down except for that. Oh, Holly. Um, the woman that Nada had gotten a ride with just like magically appears there out of nowhere and it seems like she's joining the resistance. I guess the implication is that because the glasses were left in her apartment, right. she she looked through them. Right, and, and right, exactly. Yeah, convinced. we saw that. You know, after he fell out of the window, she looked down and saw his glasses in, in the broken glass. And so we assume that, and that's what she says. She's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I feel really bad. And then just, you know, they've been there maybe five minutes, and all of a sudden, one whole wall just blows out and in comes this huge group of like military police. <laughs> it's so dramatic. Oh my gosh, yeah. And they just start tearing everybody down with like machine guns and again it's funny because 
everybody else except for the people that we know can't get killed. <laughs> get killed. That's um, right. All, you know, all these nice resistance people. Um, but meanwhile, Nada and Frank and uh, Holly, they're right in the middle of it, but they're, they're fine. You know, it's funny because when they came to that place, there was a guard outside who let them in. Mm-hmm. I don't... Did they have guards around the back? I, I Did these know. people have ways to communicate and let folks know, hey, there are like 15 tanks coming and a whole, you know, about 30 people with machine guns who are about ready to break the wall down. You might want to get out. Right. It's a very poorly organized resistance movement. Right. For as much technology as they have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah I don't know. I don't know how they're making these glasses and stuff. But but, but that is the moment, and it's this moment in all the movies <laughs> where we learn a little bit more about the aliens, and that's where we learn about the atmosphere, and we right. hear that, yeah, that they're everywhere, and they're using the television sets to transmit, and that they're searching for that one spot where they're transmitting from. Right, because that would make perfect sense, that they would transmit just from one location <laughs> right, to all around the world. a satellite that goes everywhere. Right. Uh, right, and thankfully, that location happens to be in L.A. Right, right. <laughs> and, wouldn't you know it, the same channel that uh, was her, right. was uh, Holly works at. <laughs> The, are, they, they get the guys get separated from her. Oh, but um, they give them watches as well. Oh, right, right. And they say they're you know they're they're for communication. You can listen in on their communications, and they can do this disappearing trick. We haven't figured it out yet, but we're we're working on it. Yeah. Um. So Nada and Frank take out a bunch of people, but then they kind of end up getting cornered in this back alley, and Frank's messing around with the watch, trying to figure out what it'll do, and it kind of like shorts out or something, and he tosses it behind him, and the watch like there's a big flash. And this big hole appears in the ground. And the, some voice says, your watch has malfunctioned. This portal will close in 10 seconds. And uh, It's like an emergency portal in case yeah. your watch malfunctions. Right. It's weird. Um, <laughs> but this whole scene is so goofball. Where they're running down the alley and these people are shooting at them. And you've got people on the roof shooting down. I mean, they are in the position of weakness here. Right. Where they are sitting ducks in this trench, in this alley, running down. There are people up above them. There are people on the fire escapes. There are people running down. And they're shooting at them and it, nothing hits them. But uh, <laughs> but Nada's got like an M16 or something. And he just... Just sprays. He just doesn't even aim. He just kind of like holds it down and just shoots it around. And it happens to, to hit everybody. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. so Rambo. I know. It's funny. <laughs> so they go down in the portal. And I again, I don't really understand. Like, I didn't understand if it like just opened a hole and then they ended up down right underneath where they were. Or I don't if it was... think so. I, I think it was definitely like a dimensional thing where gotcha. they were going somewhere else on Earth, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I felt like maybe always the portals, of, or when people use the watch, it gets them to that underground Central, area. Right. You know, right. That's how I felt anyway. Because there were those tubes. You know, it looks like a big concrete tunnels that just go right. on as far right. and intersect each other. But there also seem to be these tubes... That came down. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. Openings like, in the wall. What are they like? Pneumatic tubes or whatever. You know? Yeah. Like, I don't know. And signs in an alien language, kind of pointing the right. way to different areas. But I don't know. You'd think these aliens would get something a little more high class than. Uh... <laughs> yeah. It was the late eighties. <laughs> yeah. We were behind the times. Um, so they get down there and they're walking around, and of course, you know, there's guards and stuff. And I thought it was funny. The guards have like these communicators, and it w- they were totally the. Um, Oh, like the PKE things that e meter, yeah, from, from Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. I mean, I, I thought I was like, those look awfully familiar, and then I looked it up after. I'm like, yep, that's that's exactly what it was. You know, those PKE meters show up in a lot of movies, <laughs> and it is so funny because the Ghostbusters was at 85, 86. Maybe I mean that is such an iconic movie, and it was such a huge hit when it came up. And that PKE meter was so featured in that movie uh-huh. that I cannot believe that that got used in so many films thereafter as something else. Yeah, oh, it's it's, it's transparent. Yeah, the same thing, and it, it takes you out of it a little bit, actually. A little bit, but it's, it's, it's a little silly. It's, it, it is silly, but it's also kind of fun, you know. Like ah, it's that, you know. It's like a little Easter egg. But you know what's funny is is that they have these watches they can communicate on. Why are they using this PKE meter to communicate? You know, like the guards aren't good enough for watches. I guess. <laughs> so we don't really know where they are, but it seems like this compound, and and they hear like something and so they go walking and they get into like this big banquet hall or like a ballroom or something where there's all these rich people sitting at tables and there's a guy up talking up front our projections show that by the year 2025 not only america but the entire planet 
will be under the protection and the dominion of this power alliance. The gains have been substantial, both for ourselves and for you, the human power elite. <laughs> You have given us entree to the resources we need in our ongoing quest for multidimensional expansion. And in return, the per capita income of each of you here tonight has grown, and this year alone, by an average 39%. Nearly up a 1% right here. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and again, just, you know, silliness. Um, these two guys who they've been chasing after the whole movie. Just wander in. Yeah, and, and they're just, you know, everybody else is dressed to the nines, like in tuxes and gowns, and they walk in in their jeans and flannel shirts, and nobody bats an eye. Yeah. Uh, it's nobody's like, oh, paying yeah. attention. Fit right in. Yeah. And from behind them, somebody taps them on the shoulder, and it's this guy, this um, drifter guy, who we didn't mention before. He was somebody who was featured kind of prominently in the, uh, the shanty town. Yep. And this, again, I don't know, this actor's name, I wrote it down because I didn't know it, George Buck Flower. Yes. I recognized him right away uh, and knew that I had seen him in a bunch of movies. Oh, and yeah. he, it seems like he kind of always plays the same character. He does. He's always a bum or he's a country folk person or, or a hillbilly or... Uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I looked him up, and he was in Back to the Future, and I remembered that. Like, he's like the bum on the street, like when the car disappears, I yeah. think, right? And then uh, I, he was also in Wishmaster, which is a pretty terrible movie, but I, <laughs> I kind of a guilty pleasure oh, for yeah. me. He was a bum in that movie, too. Really recognized. Oh, man, he used to be, uh, honestly, also in a bunch of weird exploitation drive-in type fare back from the 50s and the 60s. This oh, yeah, he's got tons of credits. crops up everywhere. He'd, he'd be the actor I'd want to be. <laughs> yeah. Know? Oh, how much fun. Who, yeah, right? Just, uh, you need a bum? I'm I'm your bum. Sure. <laughs> well, he, he shows up, but he's not a bum anymore. He's in a suit, and he's got, you know, he's got his hair all quaffed and whatnot, and he says, like, hey, boys. And he's got that kind of, you know, that Southern gravelly voice, gravelly. too. Um, he's like, I didn't know they recruited you, too. And He just assumes. Right. <laughs> and they're like, uh, yeah. Uh, Want to show us around? Sure. <laughs> And so he takes them all around this compound and shows them all this stuff. They don't recruit the brightest humans for no, this, apparently. apparently not. You know, I, I thought this was an interesting moment because uh, he got recruited. A lot of the other people got killed. He was the one earlier on in the film who was, I'll turn the damn TV off to the next channel. He was the one who really didn't want to hear anything about mm -hmm. the resistance, didn't want to believe that there was some conspiracy. So I suppose they were setting us up for he would be a natural recruit. Right. But that's a little problematic because if he's the one who doesn't want to believe there's a conspiracy, how do you convince him there is one and how do you then recruit him into it so willingly? Right. But I felt like in this manner... Again, with that social commentary, mm -hmm. maybe in the same sense that there are people who are wrapped up in this conspiracy who don't even know, who are just trying to get ahead, this is your rags to riches story. Exactly. This explains them all, right? This right. explains why somebody can come from nothing and suddenly be really rich. It's oh, because the aliens. Well, and it makes, oh God, it just makes perfect sense. You know, you, you appeal to, and, and politicians are doing it right now, you know, you appeal to the poor uh, or the downtrodden and say, I can promise you a better life. All you have to do is go along with whatever I say. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense. You know, if, if you've gotten nowhere, if you've got no further down to go, why not? Why not take a shot at, at moving up? Yeah. Uh, and he kind of says that, you know, when they, because he shows them all around. He shows them there's like this teleportation thing and you yeah, can like, that was kind of cool. You can see, you know, they like stand in like this, like, light tube thing and then they get shot out through space to another planet and <laughs> andromeda was andromeda it? yeah yeah then he takes them back to the to like the tv station <laughs> you know what? I, I just love the fact that they're able to just casually walk <laughs> oh yeah like, wherever they got teleported to seems to be a huge maze of underground tunnels mm -hmm. but within about five minutes they've walked to this banquet hall right. center and this guy they find this guy that they knew and then he just walks them down the hall to where the main airport is yeah where there are guards posted all over the place and nobody <laughs> says anything and then he just walks them it's like the next door down uh -huh. is uh, where the, the TV, cable, station. TV station is <laughs> Maybe it's not as big a complex as we thought. Maybe not. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, they the, the two main guys 
take out a couple of guards and um, what's his name? The the drifter guy uses his watch and disappears. He's like, bye-bye, boys. Um, and he's gone. <laughs> they want to find where this is being transmitted. And and the drifter guy told them, oh, yeah, there's a big satellite on the ceiling on the and on the roof. Yeah. But they're at this cable station 54 and uh, Nada knows that that's where Holly works and he wants to find her. So they're running through. Again, they're killing all the aliens, not killing the people. Um and eventually they find Holly, which, I, you know... You she love, just stumbles down. Well, the last... Right, the last time that we had seen her, it was like she was escaping from the police or whatever from this resistance thing. And he even says something like, well, if she came here, I want to find her. Like... Oh, of course. You know, if I'm running away from the military, where I'll just go to work. I'll just go back to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like nothing happened. Right. <laughs> well, maybe the implication here is that she got, rec- got caught up by the police and recruited instead, and they placed her back at work. Well, I don't because know. because we find out, and again, you know, I think it's plot holes. Yeah. Um, oh, big time. They they hook back up with her and they start running up to the roof, and then just you know, right as they get to the roof, out of nowhere, she shoots. Frank in the head. And then, so, then Nada's up. He sees the satellite thing. He's getting ready to shoot it or whatever. And he says, are you guys clear? And she says, I'm clear. And he turns around and she has her gun pulled on him. And then the helicopters come up, tell him to drop his gun. And he does. And she says, don't do this or whatever. Now... I kind of suspected that she was in on it, and I really think that she was in on it the whole time. You think so? I think so. Mm. Um, I think she worked for them. I think working there at that TV station, she worked, you know, she knew what was going on. She worked for them. So, well, that makes sense, because then she infiltrated the resistance. That's how they knew where she was. Right. But I wish that we had been given something that we got more of her backstory. You know, what is the deal? You know, has she been working with them all along? Did they promise her? But we don't. We don't get anything. All we get is he slips another little handgun that he had up his sleeve out, and he shoots her, and she's dead. Uh, And that's it. She's the only human he kills, I think. Yep, yep, in the whole movie. And um, so then he turns around and shoots the, the satellite dish or whatever, it blows up. He gets blown away by the people in the helicopters. We presume he's dead. Um, What's great, though, is that there's that last shot of him getting, you know, laid yeah. down on the ground, and he slowly extends a middle finger oh, out. Oh, gosh, yeah. Classic. <laughs> I love it. So funny. It's so in character with him. It, you know, he goes through this whole movie almost like he doesn't really care about himself. He just wants to solve the problem. Right. And uh, a big F you to the aliens. You right. Know, America. <laughs> yep. And then we get this, and this is the scene, I know I've seen it on TV recently, It's it stands out in my head. We get this scene where all of a sudden their masking frequency or whatever disappears, and all the people are seeing them for who they really are. It's funny, and I think that it's played for the comedy. Um, you see the people on TV, you know, change, and every, you, see, you hear the people in the crew like, ah, and running away, and the people behind the desk who are the aliens like, what? What's wrong? <laughs> it cuts to a bar where they're watching the TV, and um, people are kind of like looking uncomfortably at the aliens around them like, what is going on? Um, there's a really funny scene where it shows the TV, and it's Siskel and Ebert. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And they're both aliens, and they're talking about all this violence in film, and you know these directors like John, John Carpenter, Carpenter and George Romero—they just need to be put a stop to. And that was a nice little dig he got in there. Yeah, and the last one, and it was funny because we had gotten all the way through this movie, and I was like, oh, "Man, this is a late '80s guys movie. I can't believe we haven't seen any boobs." <laughs> in right, the, the right in the last ten seconds or the last twenty seconds, we get some boobs, and it's this this girl, you know writing this guy and she's seeing this stuff happen on the news and she looks down and the it's the alien and he's like what's wrong baby (laughs) (laughs) and that's what it cuts out on isn't it that's it that's it it's the end (laughs) it's funny it is funny you know i don't know as we were watching it i was thinking i remembered enjoying it more when i was a kid now sitting here and talking about it I, i guess i do still like it you know it's it's got its charm i really like the issues that it's tackling, as scary as they may be. Um, it's interesting how, even though maybe the cinematography, the acting haven't really held up that well, how the issue is still really relevant. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad we I'm glad we watched it. I am, too. Uh, and I'm glad we revisited it, because just like you, I had fonder memories of this film. But then watching it, I thought, man, this is really slow here. Man, this a lot of this makes absolutely no sense. Although I, I'm in love with the idea. You know, there people always talk about how a movie turns out 
when you're trying to give a message mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie is very illustrative of the perils of trying to make a message movie. Right. Uh, you end up writing so much to the theme and to the message and trying to get all these different points in that the story suffers. And as a result, I think the story makes very little sense. Yeah. You know, and so you end up with plot holes, you end up with characters who are kind of one note, characters who are kind of silly. It's a fun, silly movie. Right. But And so it's enjoyable, but in the same sense, it's not really effective as a story well told. Right, you know? I, I totally That's kind of how I feel about it. But, you know, it's almost as though you can tell that the filmmakers found that secondary, so you can almost kind of forgive it a little bit. You yeah. know, you, you can tell what the purpose was, and I think that they did a pretty good job in fulfilling that purpose, so I'm willing to forgive some of those other flaws. The plot holes and stuff, I don't care. You know, yeah. I'm not coming into this for, like... Dickensian, right? You know, <laughs> but to go from the angle you're you're talking about, it it does really evoke those 1950s uh, cheesy sci-fi films where they paranoia often didn't movies. make a lot of sense. Yeah, and they were all paranoia movies. Mm-hmm. It was all Atomic Age, Cold War stuff, and this is in a way kind of a remake of some of those films. Well, yeah. Invaders from Mars yeah, is really yeah. what it is. Uh, and it, yeah, absolutely. In that sense, it's poking fun at itself in the same way. Yeah. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. We're on iTunes or Stitcher. And uh, we are also on Facebook and your social media. So please leave us a message. Give us some kind of comment. Let us know what you thought of the film. Until next week, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys in a chainsaw.